Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Today I'm talking to Tony, the binge dietitian, a UK registered dietitian who is based in Peru and working with women all over the world who have binge eating behaviours. Previously, Tony worked within the UK National Health Service and has a range of experience with diabetes, weight management, learning disabilities and mental health. But she now works online and is a weight inclusive and non-diet approach dietitian. Throughout her dietetic career, Tony has always been passionate in sharing her love for food and helping people to realize that even with chronic conditions like diabetes, there is no list of foods that they should or shouldn't be eating. She has always experienced there being so much confusion with food advice among her clients and consequently brings this passion to educating her clients and busting nutritional misinformation and fads. In the past, Tony wanted to be a dancer, and when she was 18, she attended a dance college to pursue this dream. Unfortunately, her experience was far from positive, when Tony and her peers experienced teachers making unhelpful comments focusing on body image and appearance. In this environment, she also observed friends around her having a toxic relationship with food. These experiences understandably had a negative impact on her own self-esteem and body image. At this point, she made the courageous decision to leave this path. Following this period, Tony's relationship with food and body image was a struggle. Even as training to be a dietitian, she was stuck in diet culture and body dissatisfaction, which had a detrimental impact on her well-being and self-esteem. Today, though, Tony has left all of this behind and is now working in the non-diet space, online and based in Peru. And she started this work earlier this year following this exciting move with her husband. So you can find Tony on Instagram as the.binge.dietitian and she's offering a free 30 minute call which you can book through her Instagram bio. So do go and check that out. I'm really looking forward to talking to Tony today to hear more about her journey in healing her relationship with food, what helped and hindered and led her to the place she is in today. I'm also excited to hear about the work she's doing online from Peru and to delve into the tools and strategies she uses to support her clients in overcoming binge eating. Let's get to the conversation. This episode is brought to you by the National Centre for Eating Disorders, the NCFED. Does eating rule your life? If you struggle with control of food, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, If you want to speak in confidence to someone who fully understands your relationship with food, contact Sam at the National Centre for Eating Disorders. You will find our details online or call 0845 838 2040. We know everything there is to know about eating distress and all our practitioners are properly trained. First simple step is to have a no obligation assessment where you can speak freely in confidence to someone who understands and who will be able to tell you what is keeping you stuck. You will not need to do anything else if you simply want to think about what we have to say. If eating rules your life, take that first brave step now and get in touch. 0845 838 2040 
during the week or look us up at www.eating-disorders.org.uk. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Harriet. I'm looking forward to being here. So, Tony, please would you firstly introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so I'm Tony Rudd. I'm a UK registered dietitian and I work with women all over the world with binge eating as an online dietitian. Okay. So, Tony, you are based in Peru. So, as you, as we were talking before we went on, we know that in the UK at the moment, we're in the middle of a heat wave and it's like 40 degrees. But <laughs> what's it like in Peru at the moment? What's the weather like? It's actually hotter at home in the UK. Here in Peru, we're in winter. So, it says it's about 18 degrees, but the humidity in Miraflores, where I live, actually it actually feels a lot colder than that and a few weeks ago me and my husband were laughing at the Peruvians in their big puffer jackets <laughs> like, it's not like winter at home it never rains here as well so that's an absolute bonus for me <laughs> oh I bet <laughs> and what temperatures does it get up to in the summer when you you know when you have your lovely weather yeah, so our summer will be in, in UK winter time. So it will be, it's generally in like the high tw- high 20s, early 30s. Mm, yeah, no, lovely. Yeah. And can I ask you, Tony, I know you've fairly recently moved to Peru. So can you sort of tell us as well kind of what prompted that move? Because it sounds like quite brave and obviously like quite a big change, I would imagine. Yeah, totally. So my husband actually got offered a job here. It's coming up to a year ago. I think after the last two years, being stuck at home, me and my boyfriend lived. Uh, me and my boyfriend at the time lived in a one-bedroom flat, and we both had to work from home after the COVID pandemic. Like most people, we felt like we just needed a big change. And my now husband started applying for jobs abroad, and Peru came up. We never thought South America, but these things happen, I suppose. And here, here I am. So I decided to quit my job, move with my husband and kind of set up online private practice, really. Oh, sure. It sounds like lots of exciting changes for you. Yeah, it's it's been a big culture shock, I think. Where we live is very normal, but other parts of Peru, it's such a, a diverse country. We've got, I live in Lima, which is the capital, and that's a desert. And then we've got mountains, we've got beaches, we've got cities, we've got everything here. So it's a very diverse place and it makes weekends away a bit more exciting. (laughs) Mm, I'm sure. And I'm just curious, actually, just sort of thinking about South America, Peru, what's it like in terms of body image and how, you know, is it very similar to the UK or is it quite different in terms of like, the ideal body or how people feel about their bodies have you seen a sort of is there a difference from you know the UK I find it more relaxing here I do think Peru is a bit behind time yeah that's quite a difficult question I think there is obviously people care about what they look like but there's also an element of it doesn't really matter what you look like I came here and I don't really wear makeup anymore I haven't bought any new clothes whereas in the UK every weekend it was needed a new outfit for this I need to put makeup on to do this and here it's kind of a lot more relaxed in that perspective from my own experience Mm -hmm. Um, no interesting yeah yeah 
So, Tony, I know you've been on your own journey in struggling with issues with food and body image. So would you sort of take us back and tell us a bit about that journey and sort of some of the things that happened? Yeah, so as you said in my intro, I grew up as a dancer. And in in the dancing world, reflecting back, I was all around disordered eating, eating disorders. And I remember girls at my dance school would purge eat then purge and it was kind of seen as normal and I say normal in in quotations yeah it was I never really had any kind of thoughts to do this and I say thoughts I just think when I was younger and in that dance world it was just so normal to have that kind of thoughts and feelings around food as a dancer I was always aware of what foods give me better energy I I suppose and what foods didn't so I always had that early interest in food which really kind of helped me become a dietitian I think but when I went to dance college when I was 18 I experienced teachers talking to myself and my friends saying things like don't get your belly out unless you've got a six-pack or one of the one things that really stuck in my head was don't get your leg, uh, corned beef legs out. If you Google, I'll let you Google <laughs> corned beef legs because it's not a very nice thing to say to anyone, no matter about a 16, 17, 18-year-old girl. Yeah, that was a really difficult part, I think. And another thing that impacted my struggles around food and body image was that we kind of the diet culture that we're brought up in and I know it's something that's spoken a lot about but I really think that I've been stuck in diet culture for for that the last 15 years I actually grew up with my mom struggling with her own body image and there was a point where she was a well-known slimming group coach and I remember going to meet it with meetings to her for like every week for two to three times a week so I basically got brought up with seeing women and men come and get come to their community centres and get weighed at every week. I think reflecting on my own life and my own thoughts and feelings around food and body image, I think they play a big role in what happened. Mm. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I guess you had sort of two quite strong influences there, like as well as just having the general influence of being in our sort of diet culture world. Definitely like with a mum mm-hmm. as your kind of role model, being a kind of, you know, swimming coach, whatever. Are you going on to meetings? You're getting a very strong message there, aren't you? That dieting is just like a normal thing to do and what happens. Yeah. But then as well, being in the dance world. And it sounds like you're quite unfortunate to have really kind of unhelpful comments said out loud. And I think at mm. that time, you know, we're really vulnerable, aren't we? It's really hard, I think, not to be impacted mm. by those kind of comments. I watched friends around me kind of turn to food as a punishment and start obsessive behaviours. And I remember my dance school put one of my friends on a diet and it was black coffee for breakfast and for dinner it was a fruit salad and she could only have four, four what were they, Brazil nuts. And I remember her saying to me, like, that's the amount of fat your body needs for a total day just in these four not so it was a very difficult time in my life and I remember that I just had that kind of front to just say this isn't for me and that's when I decided to kind of quit that part of my life and move on to something else. Mm. So that was a quite a courageous step for you because I guess it would have been you know probably quite easy in a way although it was like 
quite a destructive and uncomfortable environment in many ways. If that had been your dream for a long time, what all your peers were doing, I can imagine that you may have felt a lot of pressure to just continue. Yeah, and there was a part of me that thought, do I just carry on? But I remember thinking, like, they're trying to make me into something that I'm not, which, looking back now, that is quite a courageous thing. And I actually, after that, I went into just working at McDonald's. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I was 19. I never thought I would go to uni, but then my mum actually went to uni before me, and she brought home a load of leaflets, and one of them was dietetics. And I remember reading the kind of core structure and seeing like the eating disorders and I remember being quite drawn to that like that is what I want to do I didn't really know enough about disordered eating at that time but I think yeah that's how I kind of fell into dietetics Mm. and was there much of a sort of gap between leaving dance and then going off to uni like did you have a sort of bit of a breathing space in between I think it was about March time I left dancing and my dance school. And then I think the September, I went not to uni. I had to do like an access course to get into uni. So I did that first. And then the year after, I went into uni to Mm. become a dietitian. Okay. And I understand you were still sort of struggling with your relationship with food. And I mean, I think quite understandably, having come from dance and the previous experiences, but as you went into dietetics, were you sort of still sort of struggling with body image and food during that time? Again, I think it's all to do with this kind of being stuck in diet culture, right? Understandably, after stopping dancing, I was still eating as I was and my, my weight did go up and to look at me people probably wouldn't have said that I was a too high of weight but I knew at the time that I was and I was probably in a lot of body dissatisfaction at that time so I've tried all the diets I've tried eating less than 1200 calories I've tried I don't know eating grapefruit to burn fat and this is when I was training to be a dietitian and even as a dietitian in recent years I would secretly eat in my car on the way home from work after a stressful day that's because I probably wasn't eating enough in the day I was and with a stressful job it all adds up and that's how kind of your body reacts to it I suppose Mm. yeah no absolutely I mean I think it's very hard to maintain sort of restriction isn't it over a sustained period Mm. Mm. and I think you're not alone Tony that I think many people who struggle with issues with food, go into dietetics, also eating disorders. I myself very much did that in the beginning. I was very much a wounded healer when I was training as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Also go into sort of personal training, you know, wanting to be kind of in those environments. So I think you're not alone there. I think it's almost perhaps a higher risk factor sometimes actually that people can be drawn to those professions. No, I completely agree. And I think it, that was one of the things that came out of the Minnesota starvation experiment. Some of the men actually went into jobs to do with food after the experiment. So I think right there, I think this job, there's a lot of common similarities, I suppose. Mm. So what was the turning point for you in really sort of finding a more peaceful place with food and body image? I think for me, I think it was seeing friends being around the dinner table with friends and family and hearing diet culture everywhere hearing like my friends the way they speak about their bodies I think observing that as a friend 
I think we always give our friends the best advice, don't we? And that's something that we often, what would you do if your friend was in your situation? And we're often better at giving that advice than giving advice to ourselves. But I think that really helped me get in a better place with food. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's very true, isn't it, that we're often so much better at being kinder to our friends and giving advice to our friends. But yeah. so, so was it for you as well, like when you were hearing other people talk about body dissatisfaction or their diets, did it almost help you take a step back and be an observer and start to sort of question that and perhaps challenge that in yourself a bit, thinking, I don't want to be doing this anymore? Yeah, yeah, I would rather be a better role model to my friends and family, I suppose, and to my clients. I'm not 100% there. I'm still challenging my own food rules that I've got. It's not an overnight work, is it? But I think Mm. I'm in a much better place than I was a few years ago. It does really take time. Mm. And how has it helped with your move to Peru? I mean, if at all, has that had any sort of impact, positive or negative, on your relationship with food? Oh, so the food here, it's so much different to at home. And I think that was one of the biggest challenges when I first came. Everything comes with chips and rice. (laughs) And in our kind of culture at the moment, it's kind of carbohydrates are the bad in quote marks are the bad food you can't eat too much of them so having chips and rice with meals when we're eating out was a big challenge and I had to kind of set take a step back and but to be honest I kind of because I came here not really knowing anyone and I'm in a much better place I feel like it's been a lot easier to overcome it than if I was at home with that kind of situation I think it would have maybe taken a little bit longer Mm. so you're almost like immersed a bit in the deep end of something different in a different place but somehow that probably enabled you to do something different in how you responded yeah yeah exactly Mm. well that's good to hear it sounds like it's probably been quite helpfully challenging hasn't it yeah sometimes it's good to be thrown in isn't it but yeah (laughs) (laughs) So now, Tony, you work with women all over the world online and you specialise in working with binge eating behaviours, supporting people to overcome binge eating behaviours. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So when someone comes to work with you, what are some of the things that you would perhaps initially focus on if they're struggling with binge eating? So the initial thing is probably ending restriction. We know that the restrict binge cycle kind of is something that women and men are kind of stuck in, typically because of our culture around diet. But the most common reason for binge eating, I see, is restriction. And that might be restriction from being on a diet, or it might be kind of our own food rules. And do you find as well sometimes that people are sort of coming to you, maybe having followed the clean eating route or the kind of, you know, that's been very much promoted by wellness culture of trying to eat only kind of really healthy foods, but then that's become very obsessive and rigid and quite unhealthy. Yeah, I do see that a little bit. I haven't seen it too much since being working in private. I saw it quite a lot when I worked in the NHS because I worked in like in a mental health hospital. So often I would get really 
severe cases are kind of orthorexia, anorexia nervosa, bulimia on there. But with binge eating, sometimes I see it, yeah. Mm. And how would you begin to sort of support someone to stop restriction? Because obviously that's quite a hard thing to do, isn't it, when you're very ingrained in the habits of restriction and how that feels very safe? It is. It's very difficult. And so often I will go through, I'd encourage them to kind of write down what are their food rules at the moment. And often food rules, sometimes you think something isn't a food rule, then it turns out it is a food rule. So I really get them to challenge those food rules. So let's say one of the food rules is that they can't have bread or pasta twice in one day that's kind of it's just come from diet culture I suppose where carbs have been labeled bad and they feel like they can't eat that twice a day so I'd get them to challenge them that food rule so for this next week I want you to have pasta lunch and pasta on the evening meal and kind of reflect how they feel after that often the reflection is that they felt exactly the same as they would if they had something else (laughs) so I think and again these food rules it takes a long time so it it might be every day that week they need to do that food that challenge that food rule to reflect on it and see what happens and often most of the time nothing changes with weight nothing changes with their health then they start to feel more comfortable and being more comfortable around that food means that you, you have more control. So they're then less likely to binge on that food, I would say. Mm. And I think you're just raising a great point there that often the thought of making the change is a lot harder, isn't it? Like, I think we can all be prone to catastrophizing what terrible thing is going to happen if we step outside our comfort zone, eat the old forbidden food you know be terrified of the consequences but like you're saying in a way actually by doing the behavior by taking like a baby step and actually putting Mm -hmm. that into practice then you can kind Mm -hmm. of actually you're getting the evidence back then aren't you to sort of see actually what what happens you know yeah and then it's but through that that you can start to gain confidence then I guess to make the next step and whereas if we just think about it all the time we can get tied Mm -hmm. up in knots can't we Yeah, exactly. It's really crucial part, I think, to overcome that restrict binge cycle is challenging those food rules. I think it's really important. But a lot of the time, nothing bad happens after it. (laughs) So as a binge eating dietitian as well, would you do some work around mindset or emotional eating or more the psychological side of things or not? Yes. So I do look at emotional eating and I look at kind of, I've got a week where I look at building like a toolbox of coping mechanisms. It might include breathing techniques or things that people enjoy like drawing or something to take their mind off how they feel rather than go straight to the food. I do touch up on that, but I know that I'm not a therapist in that matter. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But it sounds like, yeah, it's quite helpful as part of your practice to help people start to make that link maybe between their emotions and eating and to start to sort of self-care yeah yeah I think it's a massive thing and a lot of women that I've worked with do struggle with coping with their emotions and food being such a comfort 
in those situations so yeah we, we do work through that and look at other ways that they can cope with those feelings mm. and do you find in your practice that some people with binge eating behaviors are struggling a lot with their ability to self-care and to prioritize themselves like would you say is that a theme at all in the work that you do yeah it's definitely a theme I think it's common that when people are in these cycles of restricting binge, maybe when restricting, they'll do a few days where they're really doing everything. They're eating minimal food because they think that's healthier. They're looking after themselves. They're going to the gym. But doing all that at once is often not sustainable. We know that, don't we? Mm. So I think it is a common theme that then when they binge, that during that kind of binge section of the cycle they're not probably not looking after themselves they're not giving themselves any self-care they're not doing things that they enjoy then often I hear women saying no to social situations quite a lot because of the way that they feel and they don't want to put themselves in that social situation and be around food because they don't want to have that lack of control probably in front of people so they yeah it is a common theme Mm, yeah no it's something I definitely resonate so that happens quite often in my work too and what other sort of areas would you work on Tony with that you would say are kind of things that come up again and again and you see it's very important as part of the sort of healing process in managing binging yeah so another one I look at is kind of another session I look at is redefining health because in our culture we're often told that kind of thin is healthy being bigger or fat whichever you prefer to be called is is not healthy so I do a bit of work and education around that around the body mass index which is a measurement done with weight and height and gives a reading of underweight healthy overweight obese those are not words that I like to say but the BMI wasn't designed to be used on individuals and it was developed by a group of all white men so it's unreliable for most people it was also developed in the 1800s so it's very old but the BMI does not tell you if you're healthy or not because if you've got a bigger BMI that doesn't mean you're unhealthy and you can still be a healthy BMI and not be healthy so it really doesn't give so I do a bit of education around BMI and weight what that actually means and kind of healthy versus unhealthy yeah, well, I think that's so valuable, isn't it? Because I can think of so many clients that I've worked with that maybe were told as a teenager that they had an unhealthy BMI and it sort of set them mm. off on this dieting journey that they've never sort of managed to escape from. And actually the reality mm. was that they were perhaps just taller or bigger boned or had more muscle mass. And that BMI reading, that number has just been such a sort of setback and caused so much sort of distress and body dissatisfaction. Mm, yeah, it's definitely something I see. And it, my own experience, I've always been at a higher BMI. I've always been in that overweight range. And it has impacted my thoughts around BMI, around my own weight and body. So I think in my opinion as well, like the NHS are so fixated on this number and it's something that we'd often get referrals in this person and it's just like BMI, 
more than 30 and that was all that was on the referral there was nothing else so I think it's in my private practice it's something that I do not focus on but I want to ed- I like to educate people about it on why they shouldn't be so bothered it must be really hard if you have been a bigger BMI struggling with going to the doctor and probably the doctor always saying it to you it must be a really difficult situation and it's quite traumatizing I think for our clients Mm. yeah no absolutely with you so Tony Mm -hmm. where can people find you if they want to know more about the work that you do if they want to get in touch with you so I am on Instagram as at the binge dietitian with four stops in between so the binge dot oh no the dot binge dot dietitian I also have a website which is the binge dietitian.com and I am offering at the moment I've got some times in August for a free 30 minute call where if you would like to have a chat with me and how I can help you no obligation kind of call okay now that's lovely Tony I have mentioned that as well actually I'm remembering in the intro and ending Mm -hmm. so Hopefully you will get some response to that because of it sort of peppered through the podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Well, Tony, I'd just like to really thank you for coming on the podcast today and for talking about mm-hmm. your story and just so helpful just to hear, I think, the impact of diet culture and the dance world and how brave you are, I think, to take a different track and to sort of, you know, think about what was right for you. And it's wonderful Mm -hmm. to hear of the work you're doing today in changing other people's lives and supporting them and living out in Peru, which sounds very exciting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, thank thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice to have a chat with you. Thanks, Tony. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Tony's info in the show notes. You can find Tony on Instagram as at the.binge.dietitian and she's offering a free 30-minute call which you can book through her Instagram bio. If you're not following me already, seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.